This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by ICOM. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. It's Ham Radio. everyone it's time for ham talk live episode number 259 the new fcc rf exposure policy reported recorded live on thursday may 13th 2021 i'm your host neil rapp wb9 vpg thanks for tuning in to this episode of ham talk live tonight we're joined by greg lappin in 9 gl and dan brown w1 dan And we'll take your calls live a little later in the show. Last week, Bobby Graves, KB5HAV, Julio Ripple, WD4R, Rob Macedo, KD1CY, and Lloyd Colston, KC5FM, were here to talk about this year's hurricane net. So if you missed that show, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. And don't forget, you can catch the rebroadcast of Ham Talk Live on WTWW, that's 5085 AM, Saturday afternoons at about 3.30 PM Eastern Time. So we've got an interesting show tonight. If, if the, the chat before the show is any indication, uh, this is going to be a very interesting show tonight. Uh, so if you have questions, uh, get those ready. And I'm going to give you the phone number so you can write it down and have it ready to call in or type it in um, and have it ready to go. If you're listening to us live on Thursday night, you can call us after the interview. Um, and I'll tell you when it's time to call. But uh, here's the number. It's 859 982 7373. Again, the number 859 982 7373. We'll also take questions from Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at HamTalk Live. And if you're on Spreaker Live and you have an account, you can uh, type in the comments there and we'll see those as the night goes on. So I'll be back with Greg and Dan right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. Thanks for choosing Tower Electronics. How may we help you today? We have PL259s. We have in connectors. We have SMA adapters. We have BNC adapters. What can I show you today? Where's the tower? Well, we don't actually have a tower with us. But we have all kinds of things you can use with a tower. We have power poles, antennas, soldering irons and meters. Where's the tower? (laughs) Ma'am, that's the name of our company. We can't haul towers to all the ham fests across the country that we visit, but we have almost every connector and adapter you would need to connect your antenna that's on your tower. I don't think there's a tower back there. I really don't. 
Tower Electronics. Visit us at a ham fest near you or call 920-435-2973 or see our whole catalog at pl-259.com. Sorry, one thing we don't have is a tower. Coming to you live from the glass-enclosed Faraday box, here's Neil Rapp with more Ham Talk Live. Welcome back to Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight. They help bring Ham Talk Live your way each and every week. Coming up on their Ham Fest schedule, they do have a couple of them out there. Uh, Newberry, Michigan in June 12th and Monroe, Michigan, June 20th. But you can visit them anytime at pl 259 Tonight, Greg Lappin, N9GL, and Dan Brown, W1DAN, joins us on the Orlando Amateur Radio Club and Hamcation Zoom line. Uh, Dr. Greg Lappin, N9GL, is the chair of the ARRLRF Safety Committee and a member of the FCC Technological Advisory Council. And Dan Brown, W1DAN, is the Eastern Massachusetts Technical Coordinator, President of the Wellesley Amateur Radio Society, and he's a television broadcast engineer in Boston, Massachusetts, or, or I should say it's Boston, Massachusetts, I guess. So, Greg and Dan, welcome to the show. It's uh, great to have you here. Thank you, Neil. Hey, good evening. How are you, Neil? doing well doing well we're we're wrapping up the end of the the school year here and uh getting ready for a uh a move and so we're actually uh, going to be off the show for the next three weeks uh during the move but uh the the timing here is, is pretty appropriate because uh I, I, i'm taking down all the the antennas and the tower and everything and and trying to come up with you know what what i'm going to do at the new place and there are rf exposure issues there of course uh living in a neighborhood and uh, the fcc has issued a report in order uh to extensively revise the rf exposure standards and that took effect on may 3rd so um Greg, tell us a little bit about how what does this mean to the everyday ham, and and how is this impacting the ham radio community? Well, Neil, I think it's a little scary to say that they um, uh, extensively revised the RF exposure standards because the the revisions are not that extensive. They don't affect us all that greatly. Us uh, being hams, or or many of the other people who transmit in the United States as well. So the first thing you should know is no exposure thresholds were changed at all. So if you uh, tested or examined your station in some way, performed an assessment before, that applies today, even after the rule change. Um, The FCC exposure regulations were changed mainly to harmonize similar rules across all of the services that they regulate, which includes amateur radio. The major change for hams is that previously we had a table of categorical exclusions that set minimum conditions under which we did not have to automatically perform exposure assessments. 
And that's because the likelihood of overexposure was considered to be very low in those cases. Uh, when the And that goes all the way back to 1998. That's when that went into effect. And when they did that at that time, they made special conditions for many different services. And it got very complicated uh, determining what what to do for what service. So what they wanted to do now is make the same set of rules across all of the services. And so that means a little extra work for us, but no major changes. All right. Well, that that's good to know because... Um, you know, when you, when you read this stuff, it's like, oh, they've made a change. And I think you said uh, before the show that it was the first change that's been made since, like, what, 1998? That's when it first went into effect for hands. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's good to know that, that uh, even though, you know, some of the wording has changed and, and, and you know, the policy has changed, not really a whole lot has changed. Um, in the ham community so uh what do hams need to do to evaluate their their current station or or a future station uh what needs to be done if you're doing that so the the basis is that um a full evaluation is uh it can be done with measurements but measurements are difficult because they have to be calibrated measurements, and not many people have calibrated receivers that will tell you exactly what the power densities in air are at different locations. So it's much easier to take a, a modeling program such as EasyNEC and to model your station and figure out just what the powers are at different distances away, and then you figure out how far people are. That's another misconception that a lot of people have. Your transmitter has nothing to do with uh, exposure. It's your antenna that does all the exposure. So uh, as long as you change out your transmitter with another one of the same power, there's no difference in exposure. Uh, However, the antenna is important, and how far people are from the antenna is important. It's kind of like the old saying, if tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? So if you're transmitting power and nobody's near your antenna, do you expose anyone? The answer is no. Very good. Well, Dan, you're a broadcast uh, engineer, and so you're around some high RF environments, uh, and we may talk about that a little bit more uh, later on. But I I know you mentioned handhelds and, and wanted to bring up handhelds. So. Uh, let's talk about that because that's, that's right up in your face. Okay. So, uh, you know, my history is, uh, I've done a few of these talks already on this, on this subject. And a lot of, uh, people who've listened to these talks are, are concerned because the rule was published in April and became, uh, active May 3rd. And a lot of people, like Greg was saying, thought that there was a major change happening. And it isn't really a major change. It was the exclusion tables gone. And everybody either did their evaluation uh, years ago, starting in 1998, or will have to do it if they change their station going forward. Um, some of the questions that are coming up that uh, Greg could help us about is, the uh, handy talkie, a two meter handy talkie or a 440 handy talkie. 
people are concerned about the heating uh, from the antenna and whether uh, they need to do uh, either measurements or actually modeling, which I don't think any ham really needs to do on a two-meter antenna. And this comes up to a rule, a division that the FCC came across, which is 20 centimeters from a body. So, uh, Greg, I'd like you to elaborate on what does the average ham do with an HT these days? Well, the, the first thing which would make everyone feel better is that they have essentially issued a grandfather clause. So any, any radio that's out there now, and they went even further and said any radio that was designed, not even made, but designed under the old set of rules is grandfathered in. So that radio uh, in perpetuity is, is good to go. You don't have to do anything with it. For newer radios, the manufacturers are going to have to run tests uh, just like the cell phone manufacturers do. Uh, the one thing about the 20 centimeters that makes it a little difficult for us um, is that you can't model it with, uh, with MPEs, which stands for maximum permissible exposures, but that, that's energy in the air. So we model energy in the air and assume how much of it got into your body and creates heat, which is uh, something called SAR, specific absorption rate. And that is the, actually that's the gold standard of exposure. It's very hard to measure and uh, manufacturers do it. I don't think any hams will ever be able to do it. So by that grandfathering, we're all okay with all of our existing radios and any radios that we buy that were uh, built under the old rules. The, um, in the future, the manufacturers are going to have to perform that analysis. And then when we get it, there will be a little label on it saying that it was tested, and we're good to go once again. Well, will, they, will they include some type of a report in a new radio? I don't know if they will. I, I know that that, was, that happened on some of the cell phones just because citizens groups insisted. But okay. as far as the FCC is concerned, if they're under the limit, they're under the limit. It doesn't matter what the levels they measure are, just so long as they're under the limit. Okay, thank you, Greg. So, so Greg, do you think that this might uh, have an effect on, say, radios that uh, – you buy on Amazon for 30 bucks. Well, I have one of those, too. Um, and I think we all have one, one or two of those. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I uh, by FCC law, um, they can't be imported unless they've been tested to meet all the FCC rules. Uh, beyond that, I can't uh, I can't speak. Um, they have. There are always things that come into this country incorrectly, but I don't know if this is going to be one of those. Well, interesting to think about. Well, um, why why did the change happen with the, you know, exempting um, amateurs to require certain evaluations and what – 
why did they feel like this is the time to make that change, do you think? Well, it's not like they felt this was the time. This has been in the works since, uh, I'm not sure when it started, but uh, back in the you know, 2007, 2008 timeframe, uh, they started making changes. The FCC was pushed by Congress to make changes because no changes had been made to their rules for exposure in a long time. And some of the Congress people were getting uh, pressure from, from their constituents to say that uh, if this can't be right, they have to keep updating it to, to make it safe. And that, that isn't true. Um, if you look at the uh, scientific standards, which uh, the ones I work with go back to, to 1966, the levels that we have to meet have not changed an awful lot over all that time. So the science has been pretty consistent. Now, Dan, you've, like I said, worked in, in some of those high energy uh, fields occasionally. Um, and you've had a chance to read this and you've been given uh, a lot of talks on, on this kind of thing, but uh, I'm, I'm interested a little bit to, to hear what the broadcast industry is is thinking of all of this well the the broadcasters uh aren't really that cognizant about this latest change because it's primarily a change for the radio amateur uh however the exposure standards uh the uh, oat 65 uh a b and c uh are still true and broadcasters have to heed to that uh so for instance uh we put up new transmitters about a year ago, and before we could install new transmitters, we actually had to do the math to determine that our antenna at 1,200 feet up in the air at a certain frequency, putting out uh, megawatt ERP, um, anybody on the ground near the tower was not going to get overexposed. And we did prove that via math, and that was part of the application to get the construction permit for the, uh, for the station. So what's interesting is that, you know, these rules, as Greg was saying, it, it homogenizes um, our ability to measure or calculate our exposure uh, across all various services of people who use radios, companies who use radio, land mobile, two-way, FM broadcast, AM broadcast, television, point-to-point, uh, -point, stuff like that. So, um you know, broadcasters, this is not really a change for them. This is a change for radio amateurs. Okay. Very good. Well, hopefully that has uh, piqued our, our listeners' interest here, and uh, maybe they have some questions to throw in here. So uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll open up the phone lines at 859 982 and we'll take a look at the tweets and uh, – and the uh, chat on uh, Spreaker and all that uh, when we come back with Greg and Dan right after this word from ICOM America right here on Ham Talk Live. The great outdoors is calling. Get outside and under the stars with one of ICOM's ultimate SDR transceivers. Stay connected while off the grid. 
The IC705 is the perfect transceiver for hams who enjoy both the great indoors and outdoors. It's the perfect QRP companion. This base station has features and functionality at the tip of your fingers in a portable package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters and weighs in at just under 2 pounds. It has a 4.3 inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall, 5 watts out with a battery, 10 watts with a power supply, single sideband, CWAM, FM, and full DC star functions, micro USB connector, Bluetooth wireless LAN and micro SD card slot, and integrated GPS with antenna and GPS locker. The perfect accessory is the optional backpack with a special compartment for your IC705 and room for accessories for soda activations or a day in the park. Visit the IC705 webpage to view accessories and free software available for download. Or create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver brings direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. This all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy. It has a 4.3-inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall, smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels, dual watch operation, and full duplex operation in satellite mode. Visually seize the VHF-UHF world with ICOMs, IC9700. Heard it, worked it, logged it. ICOM's IC7300 is a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before the various receiver stages to reduce the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 is the radio that changed the way entry-level HF is designed. It has 15 discrete bandpass filters and that large 4.3-inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall. The real HF fun starts here. Visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM radios. Nominations are now open for the Amateur Radio Newsline, Bill Pasternak, WA6ITF, Young Ham of the Year Award. I'm Don Wilbanks, AE5DW. Since 1986, we've had the honor of celebrating the accomplishments of youth in ham radio, and we want to know about your exceptional young ham. You'll find the rules and a nominating form by clicking the YHOTY tab on arnewsline.org. Fill it out, send it in, and we'll see you and an amazing young ham at the Huntsville, Alabama Ham Fest in August. Thanks, and 73 from Amateur Radio Newsline. Join the conversation. Give us a call at 859-982-7373. Again, the number to call is 859-982-7373. Or, if you'd rather type than talk, tweet us at Ham Talk Live. Now, here's Neil Rapp with more Ham Talk Live. Oh, yeah. You're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Welcome back to Ham Talk Live. Ham Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here at hamtalklive.com. And you can check out all that cool ICOM gear over at icomamerica.com slash amateur. And make sure you check out Ham Talk Live on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as ICOM America Inc. You will find them 
there as well. All right, well, we've got more to get into, and again, the phone lines are now open, so give us a call at 859-982-7373, and uh, we'll take your questions, and and we've got some more stuff uh, uh, to talk about here, but first, we need to go to N9GSU with this week's joke of the week now it's time for the ham talk live ham radio joke of the week the part of the show where rick tells us a ham radio joke the ham talk live ham radio joke of the week is brought to you by qrm labs now here's rick garrett in nine gsu with today's ham talk live joke of the week I was at the Hamfest the other day, and I saw a radio for sale for only a dollar, but the volume was stuck on full blast. I thought to myself, I can't turn that down. This has been the Ham Talk Live Ham Radio Joke of the Week with Rick Guerin in 9GSU. Tune in again next week for another joke from Rick. All right, guys, he, he can't turn that down, so we're... We're going to have to talk about turning down the power. (laughs) All right. Well, it's time for your calls. If you have a question for Greg in 9GL or Dan W1DAN, give us a call right now, 859-982-7373, or tweet at HamTalkLive. And if you're listening to us on WTWW or on the podcast edition, this is a recording, so... Uh, we will not be available to take your call. All right. Well, we were, were talking during the uh, the break here uh, about you know hams being you know categorically excluded, and I know Greg had some more uh, to say about you know being categorically excluded, and and it, but then the FCC also says you know we're all responsible for compliance on this and, and figuring this out. So, uh, Greg, why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Well, um, I, I use the phrase catch 22. I hope you all are familiar with the book or the movie. Um, but the FCC created their own catch 22, uh, where they say that all licensees are responsible for the compliance of their sites and equipment with FCC limits on RF exposure. But the only way to know that for sure that you're um, compliant is to perform an assessment. And then they tell you that you may be covered by a categorical exclusion where you don't have to perform the assessment. So there's the catch-22. Luckily, a full assessment might be a little complicated depending on your your setup and type of antenna. But these simple equations that they give you today for – uh, just to determine it, it's a very conservative equation and it's just helps you determine if you have any need for concern and running that, uh, a lot of people can do it in their head. It's, it's very simple. And then, then, you know, if we're, if you're talking about a condition where you might be overexposing someone or you definitely are not. And, and Dan, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the calculations, about the math and, and getting all of that uh, figured out. And, 
and I know you, the, the two of you were talking earlier about, you know, you come up with some ridiculous number and, and it's like, okay, should I be worried about that? So why don't you talk a little bit about the math? Sure. Well, uh, like Greg said, there's a simple equation that you can run if, if you want to sharpen your pencil and do that. But I, uh, uh, number one, kind of look at one of these charts. There's a chart in OAT 65. Uh, it's figure one that kind of gives you the basic idea of these limits per frequency range. And I take it a little bit easier uh, where there are a number of free online calculators that you can go to these websites and you can put in your numbers, your your transmitter power, the mode, your antenna, the coax loss, the distance from anybody, and figure out whether you're compliant. Um, there are three that I c- kind of like. Paul VK, VP9KF has a site called hintlink.com, and he has a power density calculator. You can Google that. And that shows compliance at a given distance. The Lake Washington Ham Club, with the assistance of Wayne N6NB's code, uh, shows distance to compliance. And then I like uh, this Excel spreadsheet from Ham Radio School, hamradioschool.com slash RF exposure calculator. You can download this spreadsheet and put all the numbers in and see what your compliance is and see all the other variables as you change various numbers. So there are other uh, calculators on the web that you can use, or like I said, you could do the uh, paper uh, formula calculation. But just do these, and you get an idea of what bands, what power levels, what modes uh, tend to be a little bit more troublesome than others. And if you do all the calculations for all the frequencies, modes, and powers that you run, print it out and stick it in the drawer then you've done your uh, your evaluation, and if your neighbor decides to complain and saying, ah, you're too much RF hot, and the FCC comes knocking on your door, you have this paperwork that you can show that you did due diligence. Okay, The FCC also allows people to use any other valid method to determine compliance. So they're not really limiting um, how you do it. They really want us to be aware of what our RF environment is. 859-982-7373 is the phone number. If you have a question to add to the conversation, give us a call or uh, send us a tweet, and we'll we'll talk about that. Um, Greg, before the, the show, when you or Dan were talking, you mentioned some things about uh, 80 meters, and, and Dan and I were kind of joking around about other things on 80 meters but but talk a little bit about how different bands are um affected by the human body well uh, it's not so much that the band is affected by the body but how much um of the energy actually gets absorbed in at uh, different frequencies and if you just think of resonances your your uh, antenna length is somewhat related to the wavelength. Uh, it's often a quarter wave or half wave, vertical or horizontal. And your body's the same thing. 
slightly different measurements because you don't have air inside your body, uh, at least most of your body. But the, the point is that um, at, as your body gets closer in size to the wavelength, you absorb more of that energy. And that's when it becomes more dangerous for you. So that, that's pretty much in the VHF region. Uh, your head is, uh, an adult's head is roughly up uh, around the lower UHF. And a normal person's body uh, is pretty resonant all the way between 30 and 300 megahertz. Um, if you're looking at 80 meters, the wave, or 160 meters even, the wavelength is so long that your body is just sitting in a little piece of that, and you're not absorbing very much of it. And I think that's that's the big um, uh, clue that you get from the old exclusion table, too. You were excluded uh, transmitting 500 watts at 80 meters, but only, uh, I don't have the table in front of me, but I think it was uh, 75 watts at 15 meters. So, uh, you know, clearly your, your body was beginning to absorb more and more as the frequency went up. Uh, the other thing that we talked about earlier is if you want your antenna to work properly, this has nothing to do with exposure, um, you have to get it uh, a good portion of a wavelength above the ground. The, more, the further away you are from the ground, the further, you are, the further away you are from people walking on the ground. So it's just naturally... Uh, less exposure that way. Okay, so you're going to. So this is bringing up a, a, a touchy thing for me right now because I'm moving into an HOA the, for, for the first time. So how do you convince people <laughs> that having a sixty foot tower is better than a thirty foot tower? I don't know how you convince an HOA of anything. <laughs> you just build it. It. it it just seems backwards that it's like you know if you if you put it up higher then there's got to be less rf exposure right that's absolutely true um, if, of course we're going to make sure that even at 30 feet up uh, you're not overexposing anyone but if you get 60 feet up you're exposing them even less so keep in mind that, you know, if you have a 60-foot tower with a tri-band beam on, on top, right, um, that beam is aimed t- towards a certain direction, so it's going to have maximum gain in that forward lobe, the main lobe of the antenna. Now, if, uh, if Toto, the dog, and, uh, and, and, and the mother are walking down the street, uh, in front of your house, that main lobe is not aimed towards down uh, towards the dog. Uh, so you can use Easy Neck to kind of determine what that power level off lobe is, and you will see that you're even more safe. Um, another thing I want to bring up is duty factor of our transmitters. So if you're on a uh, single sideband uh, without a speech processor, you're doing about 20% duty cycle. And if you're doing contesting with a speech processor, you're at maybe 50% duty cycle. FM is at 100%. FSK, RIDI, AFSK, uh, they're at 100%. 
And the other thing to keep in mind is your time on and time off, the transmit time, gets averaged in as well. So that can help you. Um, us hams and our family members are under the controlled group. We're considered professionals uh, as far as knowing that we have radios and what they do. Uh, so the averaging time is over six minutes. But, uh, you know, Toto the dog and, and the mother walking down the street, uh, that averaging time is 30 minutes with a, uh, a weaker uh, field strength. So, you know, it, it, it just it, it matters where this where this is going, where the energy is going. And, and yeah, I guess we just need to uh, to make sure people realize that, you know, the further it is up in the air and the more directional it is, the, the less harm it could be. Go ahead, Greg. I'm sorry. I cut you off. I, I just jumped in to add to what Dan said that. Uh, so if you do the the simple calculation, the very simplest, uh, it assumes that uh, your maximum gain, gain of your antenna is in all directions because it's simple, not because it's true. So if you have a, a 10 dB gain uh, uh, Yagi, and you're not getting 10, 10 dBs of gain toward the ground, but the simple equation assumes you are because it it doesn't make distinction if you still pass with that if you if you're still uh, under the thresholds with that you're good to go and most people are if you're not then you go and do the real exposure analysis and put into effect some of the things that Dan said like your 10 dB gain is toward the horizon 60 feet up in the air and no people walking on the ground are going to get anything like that. And you run an easy neck profile of it and you find out those people are way, way uh, under, I shouldn't say underexposed. We, we don't think that way, but uh, they get much less exposure uh, than is anywhere close to what would be considered the threshold. Greg, uh, what about a ground mounted vertical? So the ground mounted vertical is is the one uh, that has issues because it's mounted on the ground and people can walk right up to it. Unlike your 80 meter dipole, which is probably 20 meters in the air at least, but no one can get that close to it. They, they can get close to uh, the vertical. Uh, I actually wrote a QST article once about just that topic a long, long time ago. Um, for field day, because we were using verticals in field day, and we were in a field, and people were walking all over the place. So the, the article was about that. Do your calculations for your field day site, and then put ropes around your antennas to make sure no one walks that close. Okay, so that would also be the same for, like, uh, summits on the air and parks on the air. Uh, figure out where... Uh, your your RF field strength is too strong, and then just keep people away from that point. Yes. Right. Now, again, you can do it the simple way and then just get distance from the entire antenna. But in reality, your vertical antenna is still uh, transmitting most of the energy above people's heads. So if you, do a, if you complicate your 
your analysis, you'll find that they can still get pretty close to the antenna and not be overexposed. And, and Greg, I know you, you had some, you know, some other studies that can kind of put people's minds at ease with the with the handhelds in some adjacent bands. So why don't you, you mention that too? And then we've got a question on Twitter here. Okay, well, the, the, and uh, we we mentioned that the, any and anything closer than twenty centimeters has to have an SAR analysis, which is a very difficult analysis to perform, but manufacturers do that. Uh, they have been doing it for cell phones for many years now, and they haven't been doing it for ham radios because they haven't been required to. Now they will be. Uh, any any uh, radios that you have today are grandfathered in, so you don't have to worry about that. But... Um, Eventually, the manufacturers will be doing that, and the radio you buy, the, the HT that you buy, uh, will have a little sticker on it that says it was tested. And then you're once again compliant. We, uh, our RF safety committee, we did a real quick little look at commercial HTs that sit adjacent, in bands adjacent to ham HTs. So, you know, the, the police and fire Fighters use HTs sometimes in the 150 to 160 megahertz region, pretty close to two meters. And the military uses HTs down 138 to 144 on the other side of two meters. All of those are tested. And we found, we went and looked at the FCC database and found that the testing for all of those is below and sometimes quite a bit below the limits that they're uh, over the overexposure, the FCC limits. So if we can just make the leap from over that short few megahertz and think that they're not going to build those ham HTs any different than they're building the commercial ones, then we can be uh, assured that our HTs are going to meet all of the FCC SAR limits. All right. Very good. Well, let's take a question here from Twitter. Uh, Chris W4NRG uh, wants to know what are the consequences of exposing someone or yourself? Uh, is, is it a third arm or a burn or a lawsuit? <laughs> uh, well, you probably get arrested. It's a good question. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a very good question. The standards have been written with um, quite a bit of safety in them. So what they do when they write a standard is they go out and look at all the science that was ever done with exposure, and they look for anything that has effect, an effect, not just any effect, but a, a bad effect. And then they divide by 10, the level at which that effect occurred. They divide the, the uh, RF power by 10, and that's for hams, um, that's, that's the occupational level. And then they divide by another five for uh, the person walking down the street, the general public. So the, the quick answer is if you go over that ex, uh, exposure threshold for a short time, there, you'll see no effects. And that's why there's averaging time. Uh, you, you average, you, you can... Let's say over expose over the threshold for a short time, but if it's 
averaged over a six-minute period for us or a 30-minute period for the general population. And the average is below uh, that threshold. That is perfectly safe. I knew there were conservative values. I didn't know it was that conservative. Yeah, they, uh, the standard works with a lot of science, the thousands and thousands of studies. And they have to allow for a lot of variation. Um, a lot of the science doesn't always have the best um, measurement of, of signal levels. So just to be on the safe side, they take what everyone says and divide it way down. Okay, good to know. So, yeah, I mean, in in my chemistry background, you know, and looking at, at radiation effects, there's there's this, you know, pretty big threshold of, of you're not going to see a thing. And then, you know, then you might start, you know, kind of getting into the immune system a little bit, but, but uh you know that's that's probably about all we're talking about, uh, especially here. Neil, let me, Neil, let me um, uh, stop you. Yeah, because you're talking chemistry, and I'm pretty sure you're right. talking about ionizing radiation. Right. So um, there is one of the basic differences in radiation. We call it radiation because it radiates, not because it's dangerous. Right. It goes from here to there. Um, yeah, nuclear bombs, nu- you know, nuclear power plants, they make ionizing radiation. And what that means is it will take chemical substances in your body and turn them into ions, breaks them apart. That's not good for you. And even then, you can get exposed to a certain amount of that and survive. Um, there's a lot of studies back uh, in the middle of the 1900s when the nuclear weapons were being developed about you know, just what a person could could tolerate. But it, eventually it did bad things to you. Non-ionizing radiation doesn't do any of that. It does, does not break apart any of the chemical substances in your body. So there's no effects on anything except like a microwave oven, it generates heat. So we make sure it doesn't generate anywhere near the heat that a microwave oven does, but it is generating heat in your body. Your body is very good at removing heat. Uh, it has all kinds of little uh, things that it will do. It will make you start breathing faster to expel heat, sweating, obviously. And in, if the heat is localized, say, in your brain, it, your body will actually increase the blood flow to the hot part to pull the heat away. So your body is capable of removing a certain amount of heat, but not too much. So that's where the standards are based. They don't want your body generating, or they don't want the RF generating more heat in your body than your body can remove. I have a fun analogy. When I was a novice, I had a Heathkit Apache transmitter on CW. And one day, I accidentally transmitted into the end of a piece of coax. And I had touched that piece of coax with my finger. And it burned my finger. It, it, was, like, it was like a match. You took a match and put, it, put your finger over it. And it burned my finger. 
And that was it. It took longer for that to heal, but it did heal. And I think that was a little bit higher than our MPEs we're dealing with today. Yeah, probably a lot higher. Uh, I I have a similar story where I, uh, in the old tube radios, I uh, reached in and touched the um, the capacitor <laughs> and got the same kind of burn that you got. Yeah, right. So, yeah, anyway, uh, you know, mitigation, uh, a couple of things we can do if we are overexposing people is we can restrict access to our antennas. We can move the antennas up higher or farther away from people. We can talk for shorter periods of time or just go off the air for a while. We can lower our transmit power. And then we can also pause operating when uh, Toto's walking by with Mother down the street. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So some good uh, mitigation strategies there. And, and yeah, and that was my, that was my point was uh, to Greg, what it was, you know, that that's the chemical stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a, a fairly good threshold in that. And, and this is nowhere near, uh, that range. So, so yeah, that's absolutely, uh, agree there. All right. Well, we're about to the end here, guys. So uh, let me let me shoot it back to both of you for any uh, final comments here before we wrap things up tonight. Uh, I'll, Greg, go ahead. I'll go, I'll go first. Um, I, I I have seen um, just just looking on some of the, the different things online that people get really worked up about some of this stuff. And I've seen some really uh, horrible misconceptions that just, uh, you don't need to get that upset about these things. Uh, first of all, the FCC is not trying to get rid of us. They actually like us. Um, we are a service of theirs, and they, they look kindly upon us, and they really want to make it possible for us to operate. And so they, they tailored all these rules so they aren't impossible, and they aren't it's not going to cost us an arm and a leg to do this testing. Um, the, uh, we, we are a valued service and they're just, just trying to make sure that we follow some very simple rules to make sure that people don't get overexposed. Um, you don't have to buy special test equipment. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Uh, you don't probably don't even have to spend a lot of time for most stations. So don't get too excited. Don't get too upset. Um, keep operating. Uh, run some simple calculations. After you've done it, you'll say, what was I so worried about? And then you'll be done for the next however many years till they make the next rule change. Very and, good. I, and I agree. Dan? Um, yep. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, it's much ado about almost nothing. And um, a lot of people are, are overly worried and I recommend use the online calculators, uh, get a feeling of what your station is doing, print out the results and stick it in the drawer and, and you're good to go. Um, uh, you know, if you want to get more into this, you can look at uh, the FCC OAT65B document, which is uh, 
how to determine compliance uh, for ham radio people primarily. Uh, Ed Hare wrote the book RF Exposure and You in 1998. About 90% of that is still uh, perfectly uh, accurate and usable. It's a great book. Really, really soup to nuts on uh, what you need to know. And it's also available for free in a PDF form from the ARRL website. It is, yeah. Uh, and uh, the ARRL has a RF exposure page, and all this stuff is linked to that. And if you're still bamboozled about all of this, the ARRL Technical Information Service can help you. Uh, and you can email them at tas at org. But it's it's really simple. Very slight change on May 3rd. Uh, most people are already compliant. If if you uh, did your exclusion or figured your compliance out before, then you're good to go. And, uh, you know, have fun. Well, some great stuff from both of you. I appreciate you being here and hopefully putting some people's minds at ease about all of this because it has been uh, the hot topic lately uh, and you know, people are concerned about, you know, oh, my gosh, do I need to, to do this or do that? And um, I, I think you've given uh, folks some some great ideas here of just, uh, you know, what they do need to do and what they really don't need to do. And uh, I think that's uh, that's going to put some people's minds at ease. So thank you both for that. You're quite You're, welcome. You're very welcome, Neil. Thank you. All right, well, we're going to uh, finish things up here tonight. So uh, I want to thank, uh, again, uh, Dr. Greg Lappin, N9GL, and Dan Brown, W1DN, DAN, and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and, and typing in. And, uh, again, uh, we're going we're gonna to take a little bit of a pause here to, uh, to get everything moved. So uh, we'll be back uh, June 10th. Uh, for another episode of Ham Talk Live, uh, we're taking the uh, the home office from Wahoo, Nebraska. Uh, for those of you who get the reference, uh, it's not really Wahoo, Nebraska, but from Bloomington, Indiana. And then uh, we'll, we'll be over in uh, Union, Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati from uh, the, for the next episode and the following episodes of Ham Talk Live. So uh, enjoy some of the uh reruns over on wtww the next uh, couple of weeks and then uh, we'll be back june 10th with another live episode so uh, for a list of our upcoming guests just go to hamtalklive.com and if you like the show please leave us a review that helps others find us faster so for now this is neil rap wb9 vpg saying 7375 and may the good dx be yours Came right back to my secure call The readability five and strength nine You never once mentioned your weather at all And I didn't mention mine We talked and talked for hours and hours Quite completely